0: Jude verses 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devout, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, Building building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Go ahead and pray. Oh, we just thank you. Uh, We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have brought us here together to, to hear your word preached, to celebrate
1: your character, to hold fast to the truths that you have given us. And pray that you would be with Brian as he preaches today, and just open up our ears and hearts to to learn from your truth and to just be moved by it, Lord. So you know me, pray, Amen. Good morning, guys. It's hard to get up here without a heavy heart this morning after everything that Kevin came up here and spoke about, and um, you know, just like him, it's it's we really have to be repentant of our own hearts in this situation and and make sure that we're doing everything we can to glorify God, and it's uh, very fitting that we're going through this passage today, so I am looking forward to that. So um, I'm Brian. I'm one of the elders here at the church. Um, This is the first time I've been given the opportunity to come up here and speak at Aletheia, which I'm I'm really excited about. Um, You can see we have a little bit lighter crowd today, and and next week and the week after that, really, we're going to probably look a lot different in here, which is always exciting. This is a fun time of year because the university starts back in a little over a week right now, and this place will look a lot different, and my ask of you guys uh, this morning as, as one of the elders of this church is please um, try to step out of your comfort zones next week about 10 minutes after 10 o'clock and, and go meet somebody that you don't know. Um, we get the opportunity to, to interact with students that are coming in for the first time, um, sometimes folks that have never been plugged into a church like this or a church at all, and, and it's really important that we make them feel welcome and make them understand that we're all here to reflect God's love. Okay. Okay. Um, it's been exciting to see our summer community group this year get a lot stronger, and, uh, you know, I will take a little bit of the heat for not maybe preparing for that as well. We, we weren't used to having 40 and 50 people in summer community groups, so it's exciting to see that, and it's exciting to see what God's doing here in our church. And uh, also I wanted to kind of explain, because I'll be the last person before Kevin gets back up here and speaks for the next for, for the foreseeable future, you know why it is that we give Kevin some time off in the summer, and, it, and it's really important, I think, to know this, guys, because you know there are, there are many places, as as Judas warned us about, that um, are, are blindly following a leader, guys. And, and here at Laithia, we follow Jesus Christ. He is the CEO of our church. And by allowing other men the opportunity to come up here and speak, you get to see that we all love him. We all care about him. We all want to see him glorified. And that is the whole point of why we give Kevin some time off and we allow him um, to spend time with his family, to do some administrative work for the church. I mean, he's, you know, we have one and a quarter staff members here. And, and so Kevin plays a lot of different roles. But, but again, by allowing other men to come up here, guys, you get to see that we are all about Jesus here. And that, that's what matters for us here at Aletheia. So a couple weeks ago, Nate spoke, and Nate got up and introduced the the Jude's letter to us. He talked uh, about what Jude's desire was for the church. He wanted to write us a letter that encouraged us and talked about our common salvation. Uh, He wanted to uplift us and and talk about the joys that come with God's saving grace. However, he felt there was a more pressing need to write to us about. He felt that that this matter that he chose to talk about, false teaching, uh, was urgent to the furthering of the gospel in that time, and it was something that we had to take to heart. He introduced us to the idea that we must contend for our faith in the midst of this false teaching. Last week, Derek kind of gave us, gave us a better description of what these false teachers looked like and how that's going to impact us today. He spoke to us about the importance of biblical literacy, and that when we have a low view of biblical literacy, or, you know, uh, knowledge and time spent in the the Word. When we have a low view of that, it will lead us to having a poor defense when a situation comes up where we need to contend for our faith. He talked about God's wrath and how it's not the opposite of his love, but it's actually his love um, taken into action against sin that he knows will destroy us. And today we get to the passage where Jude uh, pleads for us to contend for our faith so that we're not like those false teachers or the individuals that that were so grotesquely described, if you remember some of the the analogies that he used last week. He he urges us to guard the hope, the joy, and the love that comes with the gospel message. This message is as relevant today as it was when Jude wrote this letter, you know, 2,000-some years ago, a little less than 2,000 years ago, guys, and yesterday is the perfect example of that. Yesterday we dealt with individuals that, some claim to know who God is and claim to know what they think their, that his purpose is on their life, God. But, we, uh, but guys, we know that that is as a twisted and distorted view of what the gospel is. So before I begin and get into the passage, I want to pray. So if you guys will bow your heads with me, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Lord, just thank you for who you are. Thank you for your saving grace, God. Thank you for uh, rescuing us out of, of the fires that um you know we 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 ultimately can't can't do ourselves God nothing that we can do can earn our salvation God but it is just through your son Jesus God I pray that uh, you speak to our hearts today and you you allow us to contend for this faith each and every moment that the opportunity comes up God and we pray for the world at large that um, we are our vessels that go out and preach your word glorify you on a day-to-day basis and lead others into your kingdom God I pray all this in your name amen so I had a talk here about corruption and how um, you know we we all tend to think that we're living in the worst time the world has ever seen and many generations think that and they think oh this must be the time that God's going to come back and rescue the world because it's so bad and it can't get any worse and guys when you when you see something that happened like like what happened yesterday it's hard to argue that point because you just don't understand um, that sin can have that kind of impact on this world but it does um, I had a story here. Um, In which a a child was born in the Canadian health, well, outside of the Canadian healthcare system, and um, you know, by by that, by not receiving a gender identification at the hospital, they allowed the child to have a birth certificate um, that did not state a gender on it because the parents wanted the child to be able to choose when he grew up, when they grew up, um, what they wanted to be. Um, But you can use that story. You can use the story from yesterday in which we have believers claiming that their race, or excuse me, we have individuals claiming that their race is superior to others. And guys, all this does is spit in the face of God as creator because he created us in his image. And if that's true and we believe that to be true like we do here at then then that's obviously corrupt and that's obviously false doctrine. We see corruption in the church. We see it, as Judas has warned us about, we see people out for their own personal gain, church leaders out for their own personal gain, their own, glor- they, they're, they're looking for their own glorification because their pride has gotten the way of who the God is that they serve. We see corruption in our personal life, guys. We have friends and family, acquaintances, co-workers that try to pull us away from serving God and to look upon the things of the world. How many of us, are experiencing those situations right now in which we have someone that we're close to that we really need to be preaching the gospel to, but we're allowing them to impact our life? Are we equipped to handle these types of situations? Thankfully, we have the Bible that tells us the truth, and we have a letter like this that, drew, that Jude has written to us to tell us how we can equip ourselves for this. So if you'll go ahead and throw up verse 17, I'll start our passage today. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. So, this is a little bit of a recap of what Nate and Derek talked about over the past couple of weeks. I want to point out Jude's use here of the word beloved because this is the third time that he's used that word or it's the third time in the passage that he's used this and I, I think when when we see a common theme in the Bible, we know that that generally means we should take it to heart and that there's there's a meaning behind that and it, it's important to note that in the Greek, this word is agapitos, right? Agapitos and it means divinely loved one. Um, without having a sermon up here on the agape type of love, we've heard of what that love is before it stands out and it's more divine. It is... Um, you know, a sacrificial type of love. You know, the, the love that was ultimately displayed when Christ gave up his life on the cross for us. So when Jude uses a word like this, he's stressing the importance of what he's about to say. He's, he's using it to both convict us to hear what he's talking about and to take action, but also to encourage us that we have the tools and equipment to face these false teachers that he's, he's been talking to us about. So once again, he says that we must remember the predictions of the apostles of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about this over the past couple of weeks, and we now know, based on what he said, that we're going to experience these type of people at our church, in our daily life, and, and anywhere that we come in contact with them. People that are going to attempt to distort the gospel. Um, last week, Derek looked at a passage in Matthew that, that described these people as wolves in sheep's clothing people that did not bear fruit from a plentiful harvest. I want to look today uh, um, from a a verse in 2 Timothy when Paul was writing to him um, concerning these same type of people. So if you'll throw that up, it says, but understand this, and and this is going to get into a little bit, uh, very descriptive terms on, on how we can watch out for these people and what exactly characteristics they may display. But understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Sometimes the initial thought is that's very convicting because we see things and we see characteristics of, of certain sins that we have maybe ten- had a tendency to fall into in our own lives. But it's specific to look at the context that Paul is, is speaking of here. So he's writing this passage to Timothy. He's writing this letter to Timothy from prison. This is probably written very close to, to the time of Paul's death and he's been describing to Paul, just as judah has been to us, what these individuals are going to look like so that, number one, Timothy can set himself apart from these individuals but learn how to preach the gospel to these people. He obviously sees that these are folks that are seeking their own self-gratification and their own fulfillment in things of the world rather than from the God that they claim to serve. It's most troubling that these people do claim that they may know the gospel message, or that they do know the gospel message, but they use it to distort it for their own personal gain. In Nate's message, Jude called these folks sensual. Um, sensual meaning gaining um, physical grat- gratification, looking looking to something to gain a physical gratification, or worldly. In Jude, he calls them here scoffers. The definition of a scoffer, because I wasn't fully sure, I mean, I, I knew what the word meant, but wasn't fully sure what the definition was, was one who shows contempt in derision or in mockery. So these are people mocking the very faith that they claim to know. They lust over the desires of their own flesh, and in doing so, they're going to try to bring us down with them, because that's natural when you are looking up to things of the world. And it's important to heed this warning and understand what Jude is saying, but it's also important to then take action, knowing that these people are going to try to infiltrate us. So before I get into what Jude says we are to do about this as Christians, let's look a little bit more on how he, he tells us we can identify these individuals. He gives us three different descriptions of what a scoffer is. The first thing he says is that they're going to cause division. At first glance, that may be very easy to see, um, to, think, uh, to look at somebody and say, well, they're, they're obviously being divisive here. Um, I'm just going to throw that to the side, but that's not the point of what he's trying to say here. So, we call different issues that we would get into debate about open handed issues and closed handed debi- issues, right? An open handed argument, which we face a lot of times here at Alathea, would be one that doesn't pertain to the motor method of our salvation. I'll give you an example of something here at Alathea. We take communion here every week, we do that out of an act of worship to God a time where we can repent of our sins and reflect on the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. Now, if you go to another church or, or, and they only take communion once a quarter, does that mean that, that they're doing it wrong? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. That's what we would consider an open-handed issue in our church today. A closed-handed issue obviously would be the, the exact opposite, one that relates to the method or mode of our salvation. Jesus is the Son of God, who offered his substitutionary atonement on the cross for our salvation, and he is who he says he is, nothing else. If someone preached to you a message that, that went against that in any way, shape, or form, then you would have to rebuke that. You would, have to, you would have to understand that that's a closed-handed issue, one that's not up for debate, right? It would certainly cause division amongst us if someone came in trying to give you a message that you could earn your salvation, that you had to do A, B, C, D, and E in order to accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So hopefully you'll see the difference in those two things and that's what he means by they will cause division. Number two, he says they are worldly people. Now to define what it means to be a worldly person, I will say it's someone focused solely on their own self-gratification through things of the world rather than the will of God on their life. As a believer, guys, this is why it's so important for us to differentiate ourselves from other individuals devoid of the Spirit as we walk with Christ. What message does it send to people when we live worldly in the same ways, unrepentant of our sin, it's easy to fall into those traps, right? We read all those descriptions in Second Timothy of things that, that we've probably seen in our, our own lives, and that's why it's so important to repent of our sins, understand our status in relation to God's holiness, and understand that he is the one that saves us through that. It's easy enough to see that we truly need to take action in order to not become like, like, like these worldly folks. Jesus says on his Sermon on the Mount that no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted in one and despise the other. In this case, he's talking about money, but you can certainly see how you know there are things that get in, in our way here, whether it's you know wanting to sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day or, or you know craving certain things, material possessions um, rather than seeking God's will in our life. you know why do you think? people really start to question the authenticity of a pastor or a clergy member that has a six million dollar compound. There's reasons that we are warned about here that um, it will cause people to look upon us differently. The last thing that Jude says about these scoffers is that they're going to be devoid of the Spirit, and this by far is the most severe charge because this means they're not a believer in Christ. If you are without the Holy Spirit, you have not repented of your sin and you not have faith in your Savior. Because when, we, we know when that happens that we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do many things in our life. We, we tend to underestimate what the Spirit does for us sometimes as believers, and I'll get into a little bit more about this later. But, you know, the Spirit's there to help us pray, to, to overcome these obstacles of the world, to motivate us to understand God's word and to cherish it in our hearts and to guide us to live a life producing fruit for the God that we serve. So after you read those three descriptions, it's obviously very important that we have to continue to be on guard for these people and for the traps that they set. So now how do we do this? You know, what do we do when we detect this sort of false teaching and, and, and what does our daily walk look like when we know that we're going to have people that are constantly there to attack us? So give me one second and I'll read these next two verses. So this is really Jude's call here for us to take action as believers. And he says here in verse 20 and 21, but you beloved, there's that word again, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So Jude's Main command here in this verse is if you if you read this right grammatically is to keep yourselves in the love of God. Now I want to make sure that we understand the context of this sentence here because if you're like me and at some point in your time you were a new believer trying to learn about who God was and you just felt the call in your life um, that this might seem like you can come in and out of your salvation. And I want to make it very clear that this is not at all what Jude is stating here. In fact. He uses his own passage to, to, to make sure that you can understand that that's not what he's talking about here. And if you'll go ahead and throw up verse 1, Doug, I can show you that Jude's letter here, he is specifically writing to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. His letter here is for those of us who are already kept in the faith. If you look at the final verses of his passage, which Kevin will teach on next week, He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's very important to understand that guys, he's writing a letter to those who are already kept in God the Father through Jesus Christ. So by no means is he talking about our salvation here when he tells us in verse 20 to keep ourselves in the love of God. Hopefully you're following my train of thought there our salvation is not up for debate and we are certainly not responsible for doing a checklist of items in order to earn our salvation. Jude's talking to us in the context here about protecting ourselves from false teaching and false doctrine that's going to come into our midst. And he's asking us to do certain things that will protect us from allowing the gospel message to be distorted. And the three things that he gives us in verse 20 is to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the holy spirit and wait for the mercy of the Lord. So let's break those three things down. So if you call yourself a Christian in here today, or if it's something that you're considering, we believe that we're created in God's image. We believe that our purpose on this earth is to worship and glorify our creator. We talked last week about the importance of biblical literacy. If individuals are trying to pull our affection away from Christ— then we must understand why it is that our affections are to be pointed to him to begin with. We can only do that by knowing who God is, understanding who God is, and why it is that our love should be directed at him, and why it is that we should serve him and be in awe of who he is. To build yourself up in the most holy faith is to take biblical literacy very seriously. To take knowing and understanding who God is to be the most important thing. Building yourself up is not an individual search for a ruler based on, what this, based on what this world states it is, like the people that Jude's warning us about, but it's learning through Scripture, through the truth of God's Word, who He is, and why it's an honor to be called His servant, and to serve Him, and to set yourself apart from people of the world. So let's talk football for a minute, because if you're like me, the first reaction I get from our pastors when I talk about football, that's awesome. Um, If you're like me, you saw it on your TV this week and you got all excited, right? So historically, um, the the rule of thumb in football is that defense wins championships, right? Unfortunately, a couple years ago when my beloved Panthers were in the Super Bowl, you saw that was the case. However, in today's football world, if you're a football fan in here, you've seen a shift in thinking in the way that, that coaches go about game planning, for for their season, really. You see, CTE became a big deal about 10 years ago when um, it was brought up and now it's becoming more and more of a deal as as some of these um, football players unfortunately have uh, repercussions from things that happened in the past. And so the rules have been put into place now to affect the game, to protect players and their safety. And so because of that, defenses can't do some of the things that they used to be able to do, right? so now what we're seeing is the shift and specifically you can see it in college football um, and which usually happens in college transitions to the pros later on but but we've seen this shift to where okay i'm going to have a really 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 good offense and your defense is going to be so tired by the second half that they're not going to be able to stop me from scoring 50 points a game we kind of saw that last year with clemson if you guys remember Um, The only game they lost, it was like 50 to 49 or something like that, but we've seen this where a good offense has now become the best defense, right? And I think that's what Jude's saying to us here. There's never a point in our life where biblical literacy is not important, whether we just became a believer or whether we've been a believer for 40 years, It's so important to understand the truths that God states in his scriptures so that we can prepare ourselves for what goes on in, in this world. We cannot neglect gaining the knowledge, wisdom, and truth that only the Bible can give us. So I'd ask you a few questions as you think about building yourself up in the faith. Number one, what are you trying to accomplish in your quiet times and in your devotionals and your time spent in community? Are you in the Word because you feel obligated to be in the Word? Or, if you, or are you in the Word because you are in awe of who God is and what He can do in your life? When you're in the Word, are you so struck by what you're reading that it hits you straight to the heart? And if you're not so struck, do you believe that there will come a time in your life where what you're reading will do that and be, and be that, that kind of Word that you need? It may not be immediate, but you're storing up that information and that truth for future use when you face things of this world that go against what God says. Are you there because no matter how great or small your knowledge of God and the biblical truth, you're still walking through your own personal sanctification and you're still walking through a world that's full of temptation and sin? And by reading those truths, you can understand who God is more and more and be more aware of the saving grace that only is provided by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The next thing that Jude tells us to do is to pray in the Holy Spirit. As I was going through this and and preparing this, guys, this was probably one of the most convicting yet encouraging sections of of the sermon today because, um, you know, I would argue that as a church we really, again, fail to understand the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. There was an author by the name of Paul Miller who wrote a book called A Praying Life, and he used to go around and speak it. Uh, church conferences to church leadership and and talk about what prayer should look like in, the, in a church congregation. And, and when he did this he would take surveys of, of all the clergy and the, the church leaders that he would speak to, and he found that some ninety percent of those individuals struggle with daily prayer. We've all been there, right? We've all walked through seasons of hardship where our prayer life seems stale. So I would I would ask you today to be encouraged by what I'm going to say here about praying in the spirit, knowing, that we have a power that is supernatural. Guys, and I, I don't know, do you ever stop and think that the supernatural works in us? It's not of this world. It's, it's, it's only of God, and that power can lead us to prayer. So let's take a little bit closer look at what it means to pray in the Spirit. If you pull up Romans eight twenty six, it says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Guys, this tells us a lot about our brokenness and our need for God. It tells us that the Spirit's there to help us because we're weak. It's, it tells us that the Spirit can take control of us when we have no idea what it is that we need to cry out for God for and seek, and when we're seeking the, his will on our life. It tells us that we don't know because we allow our own selfish ambition to get in the way of what God truly wants in his sovereignty to do in action with us as a believer. We are weak in and of ourselves. That weakness should be what calls us to pray. It should be what encourages us. The Spirit should be what encourages us because we know that it empowers that prayer life. God has gifted us that spirit as a guide to fulfill his purpose in our life and not let, it, not let us do it on our own. When you're too tired or you're too distracted, or when you're walking through one of these seasons, know that God has the ability to work the supernatural in you. Pray, cry out to him for his will to be done on your life and in, and in the people that you come in contact with. The last thing that Jude tells us is to wait on the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to close the sermon with that today because that, right following this, this charge, he actually tells us to do one other thing. So if you'll go ahead and throw up verse 22, Doug. Jude says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Guys, as we wait on the mercy of Christ for ourselves, we also have to show mercy to those around us. This goes for both believer and non-believer, as Jude makes pretty clear, when he tells us to even hate the garment stained by flesh. Let's look at a beautiful example of how Jesus showed mercy when he was on this earth. And, and I understand this, this passage is a little bit debated because it wasn't in the early manuscripts, but um, if you'll go ahead and throw up John 8, Doug, I want to just read this to you. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you go, and from now on, sin no more. Imagine being this woman, confronted by the Pharisees, almost certain of what your fate was going to be, stoned, possibly even killed. And then imagine what she felt when Jesus responded to her with pure mercy and pure love. I'm going to share a similar story with you that I had growing up that is a little bit harder for me to tell because I I get a little bit bothered by it, quite honestly. I had a very similar situation happen at the church that I grew up with to one of our deacons. Um, He committed adultery, and he was instantly cast out from our church, never to be spoken to again. I saw him just a couple of years ago at a high school football game, and as far as I know, he wasn't plugged into a church. He wasn't plugged into a community. He was still just cast out. My hope is that as a church and as a body of believers, we're able to find, find it in, in ourselves to extend the mercy to both brothers and sisters and to the world at large. What better way to reflect God's love than to do this? It's another great example, guys, also, of why community is so important. We lovingly walk alongside each other to work through our own sin, being repentant, being loved by our brothers and sisters, and held accountable, not held in contempt. Guys, Jude calls us to wait on the mercy of our Lord. Long for the day that you will see him face to face and spend eternity worshiping the one God who has saved us from our sin. Be comforted knowing that we are equipped through the truth in the Bible with the tools to face this world um, so that when these people creep in, we can protect the beauty of the gospel message. Here at Aletheia, we take communion weekly. The reason why, as I stated earlier, is it gives us the opportunity to reflect on our lives, repent of the sin in our lives, and then we take the bread to remember the body of Christ broken for us. We drink the juice to remember his blood poured out for us on the cross, and then we worship him. I'm going to pray. I hope that you'll be encouraged by the things that God can do each and every day in your life. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you for this congregation, God. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your gospel. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross so that we can be made whole in you, God, and that we can spend an eternity worshiping you in your presence. God, you are so good, and we are so uh, unfaithful to you so many times, God, but you're still there to reach out your hand by your son's sacrifice. Lord, be with us as we go into our community with heavy hearts today, knowing that the wicked walk amongst our midst at all times and prepare us to confront that
0: for your glory. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.